This morning I titled my message, Paid in Full. And I think everyone probably knows what that means. Paid in Full. Before I begin and read the scripture, I want to ask, call on Brother Terry. Could you open the service in prayer? Father God, we thank you so much for this Easter weekend that represents your resurrection from the dead, acknowledging to us, we your people, that we have we can have faith in you to follow you in everything you've taught us. Please, please help us to follow, follow you in every way, shape, and form in, in your love for those you bring us in contact with so everybody will be able to appreciate what you're blessing us with and reminding us of this weekend. We ask your blessing on the service, all that is spoken. We ask you please open our hearts and our ears to hear the message you have for us so we can live it in the week, the week coming up so that we will bring you glory and honor in all that we do and say. And thank you for this opportunity to be here for all who are here and they shall protect and over the services. And thank you and ask the same thing Jesus and we'll call you name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thought we would pray first because sometimes I have a tendency to start preaching halfway through the scripture. John chapter 19, verses 25 through 37. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. We know that the disciple that he looked to was John. We know that John is the one that was there. John is the one that he refers to as the disciple that he loved. We know that he loved them all. But apparently he had a special relationship with John. But to imagine, as I said, I'm going to preach partway through, to think of that, that, that moment, Jesus hanging there on that cross, the most cruel form of death known to man at that time. They had flogged him with that whip, with those barbs that rips your flesh off your back, beaten him, cr- crushed that crown of thorns into his head, drove the nails into his hands and his feet. He's hanging there on that cross, suffocating, dying, and he looks to his mother. He's thinking of the ones he loves. Takes care of that that needed to be taken care of while he is hanging there in agony, in pain. How amazing. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, 
and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, so we know is John, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. So John, an eyewitness of Jesus' death, for these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again another Scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. So right before Jesus died, right before he breathed his last, he was fulfilling a Scripture when he said, I thirst, that they would give him sour wine. But also, right after he breathed his last. My friends, he was actually fulfilling Scripture when he died at that precise time so they would not have to break his legs. He, in his death, he fulfilled another little tiny subscription, you know, something that was foretold about his death. Shall not have to break one of his bones. My main theme today, obviously, is going to be about debt. Jesus died for a debt that He did not owe. You know, debt is something that we all deal with in our lives here upon this earth, don't we? You know, some, their debt might be a manageable thing. Something that, they, you know, we can handle this. It's no problem. We make, our finances are enough that we can handle this debt. But for others, that debt might be overwhelming. I was speaking to a woman just recently who was dealing with that overwhelming kind of debt. She shared a little bit of her story with me. She and her husband moved to this area about 16 years ago. He apparently was a truck driver, and they had plans. They bought a little piece of ground in the area, the house, and they put up two nice garages, and their plan was that he was going to come off the road, and they were going to work on cars together, that we're going to retire at a good age and enjoy their time together. Well, you know that scripture that says, don't think about, well, next year I'm going to do this or that, because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Well, this woman and her husband sadly experienced how true that scripture is. The husband became ill. And because of his illness, they lost their entire life savings, all that they planned to do, went away. They acquired that mountain of debt with his medical bills, trying to keep him alive. And I know that's an all too common problem for many families today. Lose their life savings taking care of their loved ones. This woman's trying to sell everything. Vehicles, sell her home because of this mountain of debt that they have acquired. Her husband passed away eight years ago. She said it seems like yesterday. So see, eight years later, is still dealing with that mountain of debt. Making plans to sell her home and go live with family. You know, aside from the unexpected mountain of debt, from an illness or a business failure or some large debt acquired by a family, what is the largest debt that most families acquire today? What's it going to be? A home. A mortgage, right. A home. That's generally our largest source of debt. 
You know, home is a very important place. We, we love to have a home. It's a place where we can stay warm when it's cold outside or we can stay cool when it's extremely hot outside, right? It's a place to keep us dry when it's raining outside. Hopefully, the roof doesn't leak. It's a place of protection. It's a place where we make memories with our families, isn't it? So, you know, I, just the way the Lord loved me, and I'm I just going to reminisce a little bit as I was preparing. Can I reminisce a little bit? Okay. Thank you. As I was thinking back to when my wife and I married nearly 43 years ago, at the very young age of 18, I was barely 18, we bought our first home in Ridgely, West Virginia in 1978. As a matter of fact, I was so just close to 18, we had everything drawn up, made the deal, and I didn't want to sign the papers until after my 18th birthday because I was a very independent young man and I didn't want someone to have to co-sign for my loan. The bank gave me a loan at 18 years of age, us a loan at 18 years of age, I should say. For a whopping $20,000, we bought our first home. And it was, a, it was a decent home. It needed a little repair, needed some windows and you know, some things like that. But it was a very sound and strong structure for $20,000. You're like, wow, I'd love to find a home for $20,000 today, right? Remember, that was 43 years ago. You know, today, I'm, I actually did look. There are only a few cars that you could buy brand new for under $20,000. There's only a few, not very many. So most time, when you go buy a new car today, you're going to pay more than we paid for that first house. But as I said, it was a decent home, and it was the place where we started our family. We began making those memories. Wonderful memories. Many, many years ago. But you know, I think, I am pretty sure I remember that the payment was $134 a month. Wow! Man, I'd love to have a payment like that. Well, but you've got to take into consideration in that day, $134 was a lot. Especially when you was making barely over minimum wage. That was a lot of money. I had to work a lot of extra hours. But we made it. You know, when you're 18 and you're love, it doesn't matter about anything else, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. But let's say today, you're one of those families that you have a pretty steep mortgage payment. Now, I want, you're going to have to use, I know you're going to have to use your imagination because most people do their banking online or whatever. So I want you to use your imagination a little bit today. You have a tremendously steep mortgage payment. You go to the bank, physically go to the bank, and you go up to the teller at the window. You got your big old payment book with you, and you write, oh, every month this gets so hard. You write out that big check, and you start, and she says, she breaks, you know, she gets on her computer, and she's like, oh, wait a minute. She goes, you don't know that. It's already paid. What? Well, as a matter of fact, when I'm looking here, your entire mortgage is paid. Somebody come in and paid off your mortgage. What are you going to do? You're going to be dancing around in that bank. You're going to be jumping up and down. You're going to be shouting hallelujah, aren't you? Someone just paid off your mortgage. Are you going to get excited? Are you going to be thankful? You would be so amazed. I know I would. Friends, there is a debt that is greater than any debt from a home. Any 
debt from medical expenses or anything that we may purchase in this world. You know, if we had that large mortgage payment and we die, either the insurance is going to pay it off or a family member is going to sell it or the bank's just going to take it back and it doesn't really matter, you're dead. You're not going to care. It has no eternal consequences. But there is a debt that is greater. And that is our sin debt. Our sin debt is greater. Because it has eternal consequences. Sin, my friends, is referred to in Scripture. In the model prayer that we all said just a little bit ago. It is referred to as debt. Matthew 6, 9-13, and this is the King James Version. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We better let that sink in for a moment, hadn't we? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Have you forgiven? We're talking about love and Sabbath school, right? Have you forgiven those who sin against you? I hope you have freely forgiven them because that's how you will be forgiven. Let's define sin. What is it? Sin is a departure from doing what is right. It is wrongdoing. It is missing the mark. I've heard it described many times. We often miss the mark, don't we? It is wandering from the path of our brightness and honor. It is wandering from the law. It is breaking the law of God. Romans 5.12 reveals how sin spread throughout the human race. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Because of Adam's sin, it spread throughout the entire world. Through all mankind, it spread to us. little illustration. How does a worm get inside of an apple? How does a worm get inside? You get this beautiful apple, cut it open, and all of a sudden there's a worm inside. How does a worm get inside of an apple? No one's spouting anything out. Does the worm burrow in from the outside? No. An insect lays an egg on the bloom on the bloom on the tree, the apple grows around it. Then the worm hatches. That egg hatches inside the apple. It actually eats its way out of the apple. My friend, sin begins in here. Inside, in the heart, works its way out through our words, through our actions. It begins inside. It's born in us. Inside of us. In the bloom, if you will. Because we're all born into sin. You know, when someone breaks man's law, we break the laws of our society. The laws of the land, if you will. There's consequences to pay, isn't there? You know, a 
deranged man, I guess would be the best way to describe him, yesterday got in a car and mowed down a police officer in Washington, D.C. Horrible, horrible act. But his actions had consequences. That man too, when he jumped out of the car with a knife to go after others, lost his life. Sin has consequences. If you're traveling 50 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone and a police officer catches you, your wallet is going to experience the consequences of that sin. You're going to have to pay that fine. I'm pretty sure you're going to get a fine if you're going 50 and a 25. He's not going to pat you on the back and say, have a good day. If you take a baseball bat and go across to your neighbor's house and beat him to a pulp, your freedom is going to experience the consequences because there's going to be steel bars separating you from your freedom. Wrongdoing has consequences. But my friends, most importantly, sin separates you from God. Isaiah 59 verses 2 through 4 says, But your iniquities, that's sin, your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sin, sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear you. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, and your lips have spoken lies. All of them, even the little white ones, right? Your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. That iniquity that comes from the heart. His face is hidden from you when you are practicing, when you are walking in sin. He will not hear you when you are walking in sin. But friends, I will tell you the words that He will hear. Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. I assure you, He will hear those words. Genesis 3, 22-24 reveals the separation after the very first sin. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest we put, his, put out His hand... Yeah, let me back up. Now lest he put out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out man and placed cherubim at the east of the garden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. He put him out of the garden. He drove him out of the garden. The very place, my friends where God would walk with Adam and Eve, the very place where He would talk with them. You know, wouldn't it be much easier if God just came down and walked with us and talked with us? A lot less confusing, wouldn't it be? Yes. <laughs> yes, Lord, thank you. Instead of, was that me or was that you, God? Really, I don't have to say that any other way, do I? Wouldn't it be so much easier if God just walked with us personally every day? God, the invisible God. Now, I don't know that they actually, He's the invisible God, saw Him, but they knew. They knew when He was in their presence. 
Genesis 3.8 said, this is after they had sinned. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Why did they hide themselves? Because they sinned. They knew they were naked. They did not know before they sinned. But God actually walked with them. They had to be driven out. My friends, there's the separation. Separated from God because of sin. You know, I often wonder about things. Did you ever wonder what life might have been like for Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned? You ever wondered that? I mean, I have. You know, imagine running and playing with the lions and laying down, oh, let's take a nap. Well, they might not have needed a nap, but, you know, hey, let's take a nap. Lay and have the lion lay down and lay your head on the lion. Feeding the lion fruits and vegetables. You know, wanting a nap while a tree way up there. Ne- hey, Mr. Draft, come over here. Get that for me. You know? And they would pick fruit, but there was no weeds to deal with. There was no insect that's going to destroy our fruit like today. What a wonderful life they had there in the garden and walking with God every day. Can you imagine God saying, Adam, have I told you I love you today? Yes, Father, you have. Yes, you have. You told me this morning, but I don't mind hearing it, right? I wonder if after, though, they was evicted from the garden, driven out, if they reminisced about the days of old. I'm sure they did. I'm sure that when Adam was out there sweating and digging the weeds out of that garden, when they was picking the fruit, well, this one's bad. This one's bad too. Well, here, oh, here's one good one. They probably remember, remember the day when we didn't have this problem? Remember the day when the Father walked with us? Talked to us? Encouraged us audibly? I'm sure they reminisced because they're human. I mean, we reminisced. I just got done reminiscing about the days of old, didn't I? They reminisced about the days of old when they walked with God. You know, we may live a very, very, very good life upon this earth. But the truth is, if we break one, the tiniest law of God, we, my friends, are considered sinners because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that sin separates us from God. It will keep us from entering into His eternal kingdom. You know, even Moses the patriarch, that wonderful man of God, even he, my friends, fell short. There was a time when God told him, strike the rock and I will bring water out of that rock for the people of Israel and for their animals. Over a million strong. Strike the rock. Boom, water came out. There was another time though where again the people were grumbling and complaining and wearing Moses' patience down. And God said, Speak to the rock and I will bring water out. Well, Moses was so upset and frustrated with the people, he struck the rock. God still brought the water out, but God said, Because you did not heed my voice. Because you disobeyed me, you will not enter into that promised land with the people. That one sin... 
And that might sound harsh. But friends, God is a just God. He did not want to separate man from Him, but man made that choice. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Friends, this old sin-filled, corrupt world that we live in, where there's destruction, there's sickness, there's despair, there's violence, there's all manner of wickedness. This is not the world that God had in mind for mankind. But no, I said last Sabbath, He knew from the beginning, He knew from the foundations of the earth that man was going to sin. And God had a plan. He had a corrective action in place before the foundation of the world. And that corrective action is Jesus Christ. Here are two realities when it comes to sin. First, we cannot hide our sin from God. We might hide our sin from others. We might keep it a secret. There's been many times where that husband or wife did not know. Our old friends might have known. An old neighborhood might have known that one or the other was unfaithful. They hid it from them. But I'll assure you, they did not hide it from God. You cannot hide your sin from God. He knows all. Secondly, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot. We might live a very good life, but yet, Isaiah 64, 6 tells us, but we are all like an unclean thing. We are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. They are like filthy rags before Him. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So we can be an upstanding citizen, but yet our righteousness is a filthy rag before God. I have a box of rags thing that you, you pull out a white, nice white cloth. That's a manufactured thing. But when I go to change the oil in a vehicle, it's gone. It's destroyed. It's filthy. That's what our righteousness looks like before God. That old oil-stained rag. It was white and pure. Just briefly. But that's what we look like before God. But friends, God still desires to have a relationship with each and every person. That is His desires. His desires that all would come unto Him. 1 Timothy 2, 1-6 through says, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings, there's a good one, we was talking about this one earlier too, for kings and all who are in authority. My friends, He is not telling us to have prayers and intercession only for those that we agree with that are in places of authority. He says, Offer up supplication and prayers and intercession and give thanks to all men and for kings and for all who are in authority. Have you been praying for those in authority? I hope you have. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. Say with me, God desires all men to be saved. Come on. All men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, 
the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Only the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ can take away our sins. As the old hymn says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. First John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That filthy rag is made clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 30 of our Scripture said in John 19, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And bowing His head, He gave up His spirit. The word finished as used here is talio. And it means complete, execute, conclude, discharge a debt, accomplish, make an end. Let me just put that in plain English. It means paid in full. It is finished means paid in full. That plan that was put in place from the foundation of the earth has now been accomplished. Your sin debt has been paid in full. Hebrews 10, 1 through 14. For the law had, had it, yeah, and back up. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with the same sacrifice which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they had not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. Every year you have that reminder. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when He came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O Lord. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offering, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. But that the, <clears throat> that the will, but that will we have been sanctified to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he offered up one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has protect, perfected forever those who are being sanctified. By one offering, friends, once and for all. The, the law was a shadow, the shadow of the good things to come. The good things to come, which is Jesus Christ. You know, this earth, this life, rather, that we have on this earth is a shadow of what God really wants for us, what He intends for us. He wants us to be a part of His eternal kingdom. 
He has made a way that our sin debt can be canceled. A way that it can be, again, paid in full. Paid in full. It was accomplished through that horrific punishment that Jesus Christ endured upon that cruel cross of Calvary. My friends, the Word is true. His Word is true. Your sin debt has been paid, but you must believe the Father. You must believe that Jesus Christ paid the price. You must receive it. You must invite Him in. You must allow His blood to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Once and for all. We don't need to do it repeatedly. Once and for all. When you ask for the forgiveness of that sin, it's done. Your name's written in that Lamb's book of life. When God looks at us, He sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees that we are righteous and holy. Not by what we've done, again, by what He did one time upon that cross. He paid it in full. He says, it is finished. It is finished. The sacrifice of sin for sin is done. Do you believe on Jesus Christ? I pray that you do. If you don't, accept the sacrifice that He made for you. Believe on Him. Make Him the Lord of your life.